0: Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This past Friday, the 30th of April, marked the 100th day of President Joe Biden's term in office. We're marking the milestone by diving into a report from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO exploring this landmark for the 46th president as well as putting the fascination with this actually fairly arbitrary time marker in some historical context, we'll gauge the market and investor reaction to the first few months of Biden's term, as well as asking some fascinating voices from across the political spectrum and from across sectors for their take 100 days in. We start with Jason Dreo, Head Asset Allocation Americas at UBS Global Wealth Management's CIO. Jason, first up, it's hard not to think back to FDR and his fireside chats when we think about 100 days. Biden's invoked that time and those measures, indeed, as he's enacted the American Rescue Plan. Are there some useful similarities or comparisons to be made?
1: People point that to FDR as the last time there was such kind of large potential change. So I think that's, you know, a reasonable comparison. Uh, I think you could perhaps also point to, like, the 1960s with Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society, some of those programs. But what's also make the other sort of parallel to, you know, FDR is, you know, the context in which he's kind of come in, you know, after a very deep recession last year. You know, the the country, the global economy is recovering, but there's still definitely kind of a ways to go. So he's come into a situation where there was a lot of issues Pandemic-related, but it's also those exposed, other structural challenges that the U.S. and other advanced economies faced, which I think is, is, has probably some parallels to what was being done uh, during FDR's
0: time. Just give us a quick view, then, Jason, on the market assessment of Biden's first hundred days.
1: Even just think back to when you elected, you know, you know president back uh, in early November, almost six months ago. The Democrats did not have, you know, control of the Senate. It looked like a divided government. So the prospects of you know, significant additional fiscal spending were you know, tampered because of that outcome. So being able to have a unified government with Democrats controlling Congress as well as the administration has enabled them to kind of go much bigger and bigger than what the market would have expected back in the start of the year. Also, I think even once uh, you know that became clear, the expectations were that we would get a package that was ultimately kind of half of what, the, what was being proposed. So somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 billion to $1 trillion. And it ended up getting you know, basically the full amount, so that's been, you know, was kind of viewed as equity market positive because of the entire growth. I think it's also been probably a bigger factor in uh, moving interest rates higher. Uh, and we've seen you know, the 10-year Treasury yield over the course of this year go up around you know, 75 basis points, and at its peak was closer to, to 80 or 85 basis points. And a lot of that move really started to materialize in February once it became clear that we would actually get a fiscal package in that range of around you know one and a half to to 1.9 trillion dollars so it's it's been definitely had a market impact and i think certainly for for risk assets overall it's been well received the other thing i'd say he's you know him and his administration have done is just in terms of dealing with the pandemic and getting the vaccination process underway which already began under president trump and it may have accelerated you know regardless uh, and probably would have but just sort of getting that, the progress there so it very quickly became apparent that uh, you know the economy could open up i think sooner than the market participants were expecting back in january it's you know like, you know, you probably have pulled that forward by like at least a couple of months, and that's obviously been also a big market positive.
0: Jason, I wonder what were investors expecting, and actually, has the mid or longer term picture for them changed in response to the first hundred days?
1: If we just think about sort of the economy reopening, the view would have been maybe by June we'd start to see more significant normalisation of activity. In fact, it's already started in you know in parts of the country in February, March, and really now more widespread. Here in April so I think that's been pulled forward a couple of months and that that's you know been a positive for the markets I think from the a more medium or longer term perspective what this has also introduced is a real you know discussion about a potential you know market narrative change or regime change from a very big picture macro perspective uh, from one that has been dominated by this lower for longer kind of narrative of you know low growth low inflation low interest rates which was the predominant characteristic really for the decade from the financial crisis up until the pandemic. And Now, because of the aggressive fiscal policy that's been done, coupled with you know, monetary policy and with the Federal Reserve, but other central banks also shifting to more accommodative stance, willing to tolerate inflation going a little bit higher, focusing on things like maximum employment, the policy dynamic today is very different than it was, say, post-financial crisis, especially on the fiscal side. That's opened up at least the possibility that we can get a real acceleration and sustained kind of acceleration of growth beyond of the 2% that we averaged for nearly a decade. So I think that's what the market's kind of wrestling with. I think there's still scepticism that that's going to play out uh, and it's not sort of priced for, for a sustained period of elevated growth, inflation and ultimately higher rates. But I think that scenario is now kind of on the table in a way that it wasn't prior to the pandemic.
0: And Jason, just finally, any key takeaways from an asset allocation viewpoint from the first 100 days?
1: The fact that, you know, we're getting more stimulus, more rapid growth, maybe even more inflation than expected, and ultimately higher rates, at least a little bit sooner, I think that's been a tailwind for some of this kind of reflation and more economically sensitive sectors of the economy, uh, you know, such as you know, small cap equities, value stocks, you know, financials, and energy have done well this year. I think those have been aided by, you know, some of these policy developments with additional spending, faster growth than expected. And then I think where it's kind of taking a longer term perspective, is if we do get this sustained expansion of policy that leads to higher growth, a little bit higher inflation and higher rates, the debate about whether this kind of tilt towards value small cap to cyclical stocks, is this got another two or three or six months to go? Or is this going to be a multi-year trend that's sort of reversing the dynamic that existed for, you know, really for, for much of the past decade? Uh, I think that, again, there's still a lot of uncertainty about that. I think, you know, the default would probably be like, we need to see more evidence before we can become convinced. But I think that's that sort of change in kind of the view of how you want to think about portfolios, that it can't just be this lower for longer regime. And, and the playbook, that worked very well for yeah, at least almost the past half decade of favoring like large tap growth stocks. Perhaps that won't be the right strategy going forward. Or at least you have to be positioned for other asset classes and sectors and styles. you know, doing well and maybe outperforming in the, in the next three to five years.
0: David Lefkowitz is Senior Equity Strategist, America's at UBS Global Wealth Management's CIO. David, can I ask, what's your take on the market view, if you like, of these first 100 days?
2: The complicating factor is that there are a lot of things going on, right? I mean, I still think the overarching driver of markets, which has been the case for over the last year now, is the pandemic and the recovery from it. So, you know, the, the strong market gains we've seen uh, so far this year and, and and as i said extending even you know beyond that into the last 12 month period i i do think it, it largely reflects the recovery from the pandemic the success of vaccines and the fact that there's some light at the end of the tunnel uh, i do think you know, some of the stimulus measures that were, were you know frankly only probably possible because the democrats did take control of the senate although narrowly, it probably helped. In other words, getting the first tranche of stimulus done in Biden's administration, the 1.9 trillion that that boosted the outlook a bit further. And now obviously there's some potential for some additional investments, spending, although with some offsetting tax increases, I don't think the market's pricing in that fully yet. But um, you know, overall, I would say getting this, the stimulus done. The extra stimulus that Biden got through was was helpful, uh, but the you know overall, it, it's been the the pandemic story that's been the main market driver. I don't think there's been too many surprises from the first hundred days of the Biden administration, at least from the the equity market perspective. I I think once the the Georgia Senate races were decided and it became clear that there was going to be or let's just say the prospects for greater fiscal stimulus were were growing. I think the market you know, began to incorporate that. And obviously once it, once it got completely done, then uh, the market fully incorporated that. But beyond that, I, I think, you know, the markets tend to anticipate things, but at the same time recognize that there's uncertainty uh, about things that might happen in the future. So I think there, if, if the, if, Biden's Build Back Better plan ultimately is uh rolled out or you know is approved in some fashion it's possible that if the investments that the administration is proposing if those investments are done wisely it potentially does increase the long-term growth rate for the US economy i don't think the markets are really pricing that in at the moment because there's still a lot of uncertainty about its passage and whether or not Many of these programs will achieve their desired results. So, uh, so I, I think the main, you know, the main thing has been vaccines have been rolling out quickly. Yeah, you know, to what extent that's been due to the administration or not is is probably debatable. And then, and then the passage of the 1.9 trillion stimulus. I mean, those I think have been probably the the biggest impacts on the market, and yeah, and and has helped to generate the 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 very good returns we've seen so far this year.
0: David Lefkowitz. Let's gather some further perspectives from some of the voices we've been hearing from throughout this week on Monocle 24 as we counted down to Biden's 100th day in office. Christine Todd Whitman is a former Republican governor of New Jersey and former head of the Environmental Protection Agency under George W. Bush she shared some impressions of Biden's first 100 days in office.
3: I very much approve of the cabinet appointments he's made. There have been finally a lot of competent people who understand their agencies and their what their portfolios include. I've been very pleased with the uh, people that he has appointed and the breadth of his appointments on relative to the environment and integrating environment and climate change into everything, into every department and agency which is the only way we're gonna deal with this. And climate is integrally related with what's happening to us with COVID. And I think they've done a, an excellent job in rolling out the vaccines. That's all been good. The part that I think has been less stellar has been dealing with the border because you knew that was gonna be a crisis and it would have been helpful if they'd had a little more developed plan to deal with it before he came in because uh, the message had been so negative toward immigrants under the Trump administration, you had to believe that even if he didn't say anything, and he being Biden and kept the borders closed, there were still going to be people who would say this is another era. And I'm desperate to get away from the horror that I live with every day, which is absolutely true. But as I say, I like his appointments. I like the fact that he's focused on the vaccines, which he had to be to get the economy back. That's the first step. environment, because if we don't start to deal with that intelligently, we're going to continue to have these kind of issues. Plus the fact we know that we are paying billions of dollars every year in damage repair from these storms that are occurring ever more frequently and with more ferocity because of climate change. So that is appropriate, everything that's happening there. It's just been the the border that's been been a bit of a stutter start, to say the least. I think it's so important what he's doing with Gina McCarthy, with his appointees there, making it very clear to every department and agency, whether it be housing or transportation or education, you have a role to play in this. I co-chair with former Educational Secretary John King, a task force for the Aspen Institute on K-12 education, looking at schools holistically. When you look at the number of schools we have across the country, when you look at the hundreds of thousands of school buses... And you think of, okay, how much of an impact as we retrofit schools to deal with COVID if we make them more energy efficient, if we ensure that this air filtration system is HEPA fixed and we are improving the lives of those children, we're improving the environment. If we make the buses that idle so outside the school into electric buses, again, we're doing things for the environment using the schools as a place to do it. Then you talk about the education in the classroom and outside of the classroom, getting kids to think more about the environment and housing. I mean, how we rebuild after these storms, where we rebuild, all can have a positive impact on our emissions so that every part of our government has a role to play. It's not siloed into EPA alone. And that's a very good, strong start, and that will help people to start to see where the impacts come from and the different ways that we can address it.
0: Christine Todd Whitman. Next to Mark Moriel, former mayor of New Orleans and the president of the National Urban League, a civil rights organization that's long advocated for racial justice in the United States. Mark spoke about Biden's first 100 days and the imperative to bring equality for African-Americans.
4: Well, you've got a changing dynamic in the post-civil rights era because you have more black professionals, more Blacks who've had an opportunity to work in mainstream jobs and opportunities, more African-American elected officials. But what you also have now is a tremendous backlash from right-wing interest, as aggressive and as vicious as any backlash since the backlashes of the 50s and 60s. It feels, to my mother's description, who's 88 years old, the same or even worse than the 1950s. Because it's happening now. And that backlash manifests itself in lack of accountability for police officers who shoot unarmed black men. It manifests itself in the, the avalanche of efforts to suppress voter participation and black voter registration and black voter turnout. It manifests itself in the, the criminal system, system of mass incarceration. It manifests itself in many, many ways, even today. But there's a tension in America and a friction in America, because there's an element of America which is very much aligned with sort of this resistance to change along the lines of racial justice. And then there's a very definitive movement. Black Lives Matter is a characterization of it. That movement and that tension has been underway for 50 years. It's just reached a I am sick and tired of being sick and tired moment. Joe Biden's victory was a remarkable victory. He probably had the broadest and widest coalition of anyone ever elected president. He carried 43% of the white vote, significant majorities in Black, Brown, and Asian communities. He carried significant numbers among older and younger Americans. It was a broad, and it was a decisive win. What comes along with it are significant high expectations. I think if you look at his first 100 days, he's made great progress, but he's got a significant roadblock in his way that's going to affect everything he wants to do. That significant roadblock is called the Senate filibuster. That's the roadblock, not the will of the people. All of his initiatives that he's put out there holds tremendous support among the American people. His recovery bill, tremendous support, infrastructure, police reform. It is only the politics of the right that stands as an obstacle. And it's not the voters on the right, it's politicians in Congress.
0: Mark Morial. Zach Wamp is a former Republican congressman from Tennessee and currently co-chair of the Reformers' Caucus, a bipartisan group of legislators. Congressman Wamp talked about the progress made by the Biden administration and by Congress in restoring trust in politics and the work that remains to be done.
5: The president took office with some momentum on COVID and also some kind of cleanup responsibilities that he gets credit for, but they were going to happen anyway. And so that helped a little bit of the goodwill. I think the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill didn't help him. It helped the country in, in a certain sense kind of bring closure to something that had been pending for eight or nine months. The fact that there wasn't any bipartisan Effort there, you know, the the bipartisan compromises from the group of 12 or whatever, they weren't considered. And then the Republicans in the Senate, which are still at a 50 50, they felt like they were stiff armed by this administration. Once they knew they had the votes, including Vice President Harris breaking the tie in the Senate to do whatever the hell they wanted to, it was a partisan thing. And partisan things is what has gotten the country so divided. Something's wrong here when only one party, no one on the other side, and there's no effort to get bipartisan support. What does that mean? That means that somebody's rigging the system to their advantage. That's the way people perceive this. So I'd say the first 100 days is mixed at best because the president had some goodwill that this is a new beginning, that a lot of Republicans, frankly, half the Republicans were really truthfully ready to move beyond Trump. Some of them wouldn't admit it publicly from fear of backlash, but half the Republicans in this country were ready to move beyond Trump. There are a lot of people in the party that want candidates to emerge that can take us more in the Reagan direction of the party instead of the Trump populist direction of the party. We've gotten through more difficult times, but every time that we came through that, leadership emerged to pull together, to pull us out. So what's got to happen? Leadership has to emerge, and I believe it's generation. I'm 63, and I left Congress 10 years ago. People have asked me for 10 years to run again and to serve again, and I tell them I would far rather my children serve than me. Why? Because the next generation is much more pragmatic, much more willing to work together, less brainwashed into their camps of the whole world is either red or blue, and there is no working it out and they know technology and how to deploy technology to solve problems. My generation and up has not done very well. The last 30 years is where the meltdown has taken place. And so all of those people, all due respect to the 80-year-olds and the 70-year-olds that are still in power, go home. Make room for the next generation. If we have a generational turnover, we have hope. We have the chance of coming together. We have the opportunity of pragmatic millennials and responsible young Americans to actually take control of their future. The greatest injustice of our time is what this generation is doing to the next generation in this country.
0: Zach Wamp. Finally, let's hear from Justine Lee, Executive Director of Living Room Conversations and co-founder Make America Dinner Again. Here, she talks about her work trying to fix the divided discourse in the US and what the first 100 days tell us about that goal
6: there's an ebb and flow across different dimensions in life, who's holding the presidential office will change, who holds power in the Senate, in Congress, you know, across local governments as well, will change. And, you know, it it might slow down that kind of like urgent interest in like needing, wanting to hear the other side, like, I think there was a little bit of a rush around the election, the presidential election, and then the runoff election in Georgia for the Senate seats. And then, of course, January 6th and the Capitol Hill riots, there was another surge of interest in this bridging work and trying to understand. And then, of course, Biden's calls for unity and all of that. I think it will slow down. But what my hope is, is that then people don't see it as a quick fix or something to satisfy my need to just understand this other side I'm not it's not working this other way maybe this will help something will connect here right what I'm hoping is that people see this work of conversation active listening asking good questions really waiting to hear the answers as a practice that will just be a more consistent thing in their lives
0: justine lee And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. Listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.